to the Dean at Stumps podcast, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. And if you've just joined us for the first time, it's a very warm welcome to you wherever you may be. I sincerely hope that you are still in lockdown and adhering to what you are told to do because it is vitally important to stay safe so that we can get through this together and once again renew uh, all our face-to-face cricket chats that we love so much. But of course, uh, if you'd like to hear a bit more about Dean at Stumps, you simply subscribe and you can listen to interviews with the likes of former South African captain Sean Pollock, Michael Vaughan, England's former test captain, well, former captain and very successful Ashes captain at that as well back in 2005. Also, an incredibly good interview with 19-year-old Zimbabwean-born Tawanda Muyeye, who now does his schooling at Eastbourne College in Sussex and recently won the Wisdom Schools Cricketer of the Year Award. Hello once again and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. My name is Dean Duplessis and as I said, we also have the likes of uh, Mpumalil Mbangwa, former Zimbabwean seaman, now much-loved commentator. But we also started a very interesting series a couple of weeks ago with uh, a very good friend of mine, my mentor, in fact, who got me involved in commentating, who helped me believe that despite the fact that I'm unable to see that commentating is a possibility, not necessarily calling the action, but describing the action. And him and I first got together way back in 2001 and have been firm friends, colleagues, and he has still continued to mentor me for the last 19 years. I'm referring to South African-based journalist Neil Manthorpe, who does a lot of cricket writing, but he's also well-known as a television commentator, but especially in the radio commentary box, which is where I met him for the first time. Now, if you had listened to the first chat between myself and Manners, you'll remember that uh, we first of all spoke about South Africa's return to international cricket back in 1991, how the team was selected to go to the 1992 World Cup, the little bit of contra- controversy that caused, yeah, a bit of a big word that, and uh, we then made our way through to 1994, 96, but we now get to an interesting point, and in fact, it actually, the last conversation that we had part one ended where we had a we just started to touch on reverse swing now we take it a bit further we talk a bit more about reverse swing and Neil Manthorpe also has a wonderful story to tell about the two of us as well yeah uh, look there there are quite a few stories of uh, bowlers the first the first bowler that I heard um, described to me how it it happened by accident. Well, it was actually Vince van der Bale oh, yeah. when he was playing for Middlesex in uh, in the early 80s. Well, he only played one season for them and uh, he took 81 wickets at 15. <laughs> but um, he he it, 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 he recalls there being not not often, but every now and then. And uh, in hindsight, now that he understands the science, it was always when the ball was coming towards the end of its of its lifespan. Yeah, yeah. It was often towards the end of the day, and he'd be looking to bowl an away swinger, and suddenly it would go the other way. Um, and the first few times that it happened, uh, he, he was so perplexed that he thought he must have just been holding it the wrong way, which is, which is crazy. I mean, it's like walking outside and forgetting to put your trousers on. There's no way that he was holding the ball the wrong way round. Um, but it, it did. I mean, it did used to, to happen by mistake. Um, 
several players can't recall exactly why, uh, but I would um, suggest you know, there are two ways to, to manufacture reverse swing, and I'm not a scientist, neither am I a fast bowler, so, um, and I've not been involved in the process particularly. But there's, you either keep it very, very dry and scratched on one side, or there is the, the method which involves making one side of the ball heavier than the other, um, and that's the application of saliva. That's what helps the shot, and also perspiration. Yeah. That's when that's when you see bowlers mopping their brow with their fingers and then applying the, the perspiration, the sweat to one side of the ball. When the lacquer is off it, the leather becomes more absorbent, and then that side of the ball becomes heavier. Um, may I suggest that Big Edo may just have had a very sweaty day in which the, uh, the ball got very, very wet on one side. I think that I'm sure Big Edo did sweat quite a bit, quite profusely, and I think you're absolutely right. But, uh, I mean, the, the, there was genuine arguing going on in the Zimbabwe camp because, you know, nobody knew what was going Going on, and I don't know if this part of the story is true or not, but rumor has it that Edo actually threw the ball to one of the uh, senior players who was give, giving him a tough time and said, Well, then maybe you should be bowling it because I have no idea what's going on. I'm doing what you want me to do, and the ball's uh, got a mind of its own. And it was at the end because they played three test matches and three one days, and it was after the third one day international that the Pakistanis actually uh, re relented a little bit, not too much though, mind you, and, and you know, just said, Look, this is what's actually going on. If you knew what you were doing, we, we probably would have had a, a closer series. So, um, 1994, man, as was a very special year in terms of those who loved following cricket between Australia and South Africa. So South Africa last hosted Australia, I believe it would have been in 69-70 when Bill Laurie uh, was the captain of the team. And finally, after 24 years of isolation, we once again had the Aussies touring South Africa. So it was an incredible you know, there's nothing like an Australia-South Africa test series, is there? I mean, it's, it's, we all talk about the ashes. That is probably the top. But an Australia-South Africa test series is a thing of pure beauty. Finally, we had the Aussies in South Africa, the War Twins. You had Alan Border, who was playing in his last series as Captain Shane Warne, making leaps and bounds and, you know, just bursting onto the international scene and, and doing so well. So for you as a journalist, we we as teenagers were captivated and we were so happy that we were going to be able to watch or in our cases as blind students listen to all this coverage. What was it like for you? I mean, you'd been in Australia, but now having the Aussies in South Africa and you knew that you were going to have contests between Alan Donald and maybe Dean Jones at the Wanderers, and you knew that you were, you were going to have some very good cricket played at Newlands. Did anybody ever envisage the contest that was going to be between Hansi Cronier and Shane Warne? Oh, there was there were so many, weren't there? I mean, well, there were so many individual battles within within the the, the within the the series. Um, the first test at the Wanderers was an absolute uh, belter. I mean, it was there were only three runs in it on in the first innings, and then yeah. South Africa made four hundred and fifty in the second innings with uh, Hansi scoring a hundred, and then won the first test match at the Wanderers, um, which was oh, magnificent. Australia have got a um, incredible record at Newlands though since isolation and they won the next test match there do you remember do you remember who played the lead role with the ball for Australia because they, they stormed back and, and won quite comfortably at Newlands with uh, an unlikely exponent with the ball taking a fifer um, was it Steve Wall? 
Yes, it was. <laughs> Five for 28. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that remains his career best. Yeah, but uh, sure. it was, you know, there was there was a little bit of swing at Newlands. Conditions were absolutely perfect for him. Alan Border threw in the ball. And it looked like he was just going to have a, a couple of overs before an interval. I think it was just before tea. Um, and uh, he took a couple of wickets or one wicket, I, I can't recall. But And then just carried on and bowled this long spell took five for 28. Um, and then the third test that uh, Kingsmead was drawn, uh, uh, although Australia were, were under pressure because they were bowled out for 269. And then South Africa made 422. So it really put them under pressure. But um, there was a bit of rain around. And Mark War scored 100, um, and Australia finished at 297 for four. But it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a cracking series. The other memorable incident, and none of us knew about it at the time, um, but we, we found out <laughs> subsequently. Do you remember at the Wanderers what happened between Brian McMillan and uh, Alan Border? Ah, uh, yes. Now, if I, something up, so Alan Border had a bit to say to Brian McMillan, and Indeed. then, and then, if if my memory serves me, uh, Macmillan, Big Mac, as we called him, took a firearm, a handgun of one of the security guards, made very sure that there was no bullets in it. Of course, walked into the Australian dressing room and said, "So, what did you have to say? Would you like to repeat that?" Yeah. Well, um, I'm right? not so sure that he he emptied the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a handgun, <laughs> and it was uh, an on duty police officer. And of course, it's just a. Uh, I mean, you could you can imagine doing that uh, <laughs> these days. But um, you know, back then it was, ni- it was 1994. <laughs> Brian Mack, of course, had done his national service. He knew he knew all about weapons. Um, he'd handled uh, one of these weapons himself, and the police officer just said, yeah, okay, don't be long. (laughs) And he he did, he went in, because Border was not really a a great chirper, but he was getting a bit frustrated with Big Mac on the field, and he did have a bit to say, and McMillan's reply was, people go missing in our country all the time, you know. and then, yeah, it was the, the lunch break and uh, Macmillan has suddenly appeared <laughs> alongside Border <laughs> with, a, with a, a police officer's firearm and said, what was that again? Do, do, you, want to, do you want to repeat what you said? Um, I think the, I've heard many people retell the story. Shane Warne tells it brilliantly. Yeah, he, does. he says, he says, AB, the original AB, Alan Border, before De Villiers came along, <laughs> he said he turned absolutely white. He said, I swear I saw his bottom lip just begin to quiver as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Mack was a uh, big grin, big, big friendly smile, turned on his heels and said, I didn't think you'd repeat it. <laughs> yeah, wonderful man, Big Mac. Um, I, I mean, he was uh, the one thing that frustrated me was, was Brian McMillan being one of his, <clears throat> his biggest uh, admirers as a cricketer was the fact that he and his streak to a certain extent as well. Big, strong, muscular, broad shoulders. But goodness me, man, they, they, they could, so Brian McMillan, I could just imagine him pounding a golf ball 300 meters straight down, uh, down the fairway. And even, well, he streak is not a golfer, but he too is, is a man of incredible strength. But they used to frustrate me no end in the way that they were very reserved as batsmen. You, you kind of feel that I wish they'd had a bit more of a Andrew Flintoff, Ben Stokes type of approach where they would just take the game by the scruff of the neck and with their power and timing, bat with a bit more freedom and, and aggression when, when needed, of course. Well, there's a, a couple of explanations uh, to that. Um, Brian Mack uh, has a, a right take on it all. He says, A, the longer I batted, it meant the less I had to bowl. And <laughs> B, 
Uh, you're right about his golf, by the way, because he, he hits a golf ball absolutely miles. Right. And uh, whenever he was asked, uh, whenever he played golf and, and people would see him for the first time, they'd go, cheapers, why don't you hit a cricket ball like that? He said, because I play golf for fun and cricket for a living. Right, right. Um, and, it, you know, they, they just... Um, Streak and, and McMillan are similar, and they just put an incredibly high price on their wickets. Um, and, I, and I think because they were all-rounders, they had the ability um, to, to, I guess, set an example uh, for some of their batsmen. Um, and South Africa, during the most part of uh, McMillan's um, career, did suffer from what became known as the 50-for-4 um, syndrome or the... <laughs> The, the, the 90 for 6 syndrome. So the top order, uh, whilst one of Kirsten, Hudson, um, Cronier, Cullinan, you know, one of them would come off, but, but all too often there was a lack of consistency. So because Macmillan and Streak could, they, um, they'd often try and set the example to the batsman. Um, it did help of course, that the ball was usually at 40 or 50 overs old by the time they come in and was probably doing a little bit less. But um, they, you know, they were both capable of hitting the cricket ball a very long way, but they preferred, um, I suppose, quantity over, over, over what we might term as quality. Quality, yeah, which is understandable, but to a certain extent a shame as well. Just, I just often feel that they often could have, uh, you know, won more, more matches for their respective countries if they played with a bit more freedom. But I understand exactly what you I mean. Zimbabwe had the same situation as well, didn't they? Where he streak scored his first Test 50 with when he came to the crease against South Africa at 71 for 7. So there's no way that you're going to go out there. And, and you know, if it is maybe 171 for 7, then yes, fair enough, or 271 for 7. I um, think Brian McMillan, if, 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 he, if he had had his career, if he had been 10 years younger or, or 15, you know, if, he, if his career was 10 or 15 years younger, I think you would have seen a very different player, a yeah. very different player, and far less conservative player, um, particularly in, in the one-day game. I mean, I think, uh, you know, he would have been dragged out of his shell by uh, the way that uh, the one-day game, the limited overs cricket advanced and, uh, and became a far, far more fast-moving game. But uh, I think I think Streaky was always up against it. I think you probably look back and find he came to the crease at seventy for seven or similar more often than not. So oh, um, you know he had a he, he was just constantly in a rebuilding phase, mo mostly. Mostly, uh, but did you know that he he has the uh, well? You would know better than uh, than me. But did you know that one of the biggest sixes hit in Bloemfontein at the at the ground that the 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 ground changes its name so many times? But um, um, at, did you know that he streak holds one of the biggest sixes that was hit there? Uh, and given the fact that those boundaries at in Bloemfontein are so big, that's a fair achievement. So apparently, one of the, the sixes that he hit of Chris Harris in the Super Six game landed in the swimming pool. Now, I, I've never been to the ground. You've been there on many occasions. If you hit a six into the swimming pool at the ground in Bloemfontein, is that a big hit or not? <laughs> uh, it must have bounced several yes. times. I would, <laughs> I would agree with that. Surely. <laughs> I'm pretty, yes, it's, it's possible. I'm visualizing it now. I'm not familiar with that story. I think it was probably still called Springbok Park back then. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> But, but it's now the Mangoang Oval. Right. Um, Dean, I would have to say that was that 
it's got to be a minimum of 150 metres to the swimming pool. He might well have hit it in there, but I'm putting my money on the fact that it bounced and then rolled a little bit before it got wet. And you think maybe somebody accidentally kicked the ball into the pool while trying to retrieve it? <laughs> I don't know. There's a very famous story of uh, Graham Pollock hitting a ball from Newlands into Musenberg. Oh, that's um, right, yes. yes. Because uh, it landed in a coal train that was heading towards <laughs> Musenberg. I think Adrian Kaper actually did something similar. His ball went from Newlands back to Johannesburg. So, uh, as you know, the, the, the train comes past very close to Newlands and Adrian Kaper hit a six that landed in the train and uh, was then carried to, to Johannesburg from there. So, there you are. Um, Streaky's... I think that's a story that... Uh, my version's almost certainly uh, been distorted many times uh, over the yes, years. Yes, you're right. I, uh, I was... we, uh, you know, the original batsman, um, it may not even have happened. It may, <laughs> may be just a, completely myth, <laughs> a, a, a complete myth. Well, I was going to say, so then if that's the case, he streaks inferior 150-meter hit was uh, absolutely nothing then. But um, <laughs> so, and in manners, uh, you were talking just now about Kepler Vessels and, and Hansi and Bob Wilmer. Actually, I'm going to have to correct you with Bob Wilmer. I'm sure he took over as coach after Mike Proctor in 1994 when they taught Pakistan. You'll have to look it up. Maybe you can do that while you're talking to me. I don't know if you have your your, your keyboard close at hand, but I will I will put it... No, you're around. right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. It was uh, after... Um, uh, yeah. But, yeah. But that tour to Pakistan is... Uh, you see, I told, I told you you'd catch me, Andy. <laughs> you, 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 it's like our commentary debut together, isn't it? When you corrected me on... Uh, on Ajita Gaka and Saurav Ganguly. I think, I think I, that's no doubt a story that uh, you've told many times, but it would be remiss of me not to get you to tell it on your podcast with me, seeing as I was the guy you corrected. <laughs> Um, to be honest, I haven't actually told that story. I'm afraid I'm not really one for... I'd much rather be telling one story about one person cor cor correcting another. I'm not, I'm not too big on the me correcting right. people. Right, well, I insist. All right, all right. Fair enough. Because so, I loved it. Fair, fair enough. So it was my first ever stint in a commentary box. We were doing radio commentary on the internet, if that makes sense. So um, it, now it's very common to do, but back in 2001... It was a little unheard of, so you wouldn't really go to a radio station as such. You would go onto the internet. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention who it was for, but um, we we went and uh, Neil Manthorpe coaxed it's me. It's your podcast. All right, so it was Crick Info. We we were doing commentary on Crick Info, but it was an audio uh, bit of commentary on Crick Info. And Neil, I, I wandered into the commentary box as I used to do, and I said, I, I recognize your voice. I, you, Neil Manthorpe, I've heard you when I used to do my schooling in Worcester in Cape Town. And, and so Neil's actually what you're saying is that uh, when I was commentating, uh, you, you had me under, under, the, under your duvet with you. <laughs> you were under my duvet, man. Is that You were under my duvet with me. And, uh, by the way, when it was in the hot... Well, not in it because it was very hot in, in Worcester in those days. So you would have actually been in the shower with me because I would have been showering with the radio on. So uh, that's quite... You've been under my duvet. <laughs> it's always hot in Worcester. <laughs> it's very hot there. Goodness me. And, and we had a... We, we, you said uh, you... 
you know, we had a bit of a chat this way, that way. And I remember Neil Manthorpe then saying to me, why don't you have a stint tomorrow? I can't do it now because the, the timetable has been prepared. Come on air with me tomorrow. It's Zimbabwe up against India. And let's see how this goes. And initially, um, I know that the, the bosses back in the UK were a little bit skeptical. And rightly so. I mean, uh, you're having a guy who can't see, basically describing a, a game of international cricket. Very scary. And uh, Zimbabwe, oh goodness, they, they'd lost a toss. They were put into bat by Gangulia and they were in all sorts of trouble. There was no Andy Flower because he was recovering from a hand operation that he had. Andy Bluchnot broke his hand and that was that. So he was out of, uh, he was out of the whole series. And in virtually no time, Zimbabwe were in all sorts of trouble. And Ajit Agarkhan, Ashish Nero bowling very nicely. And I was on the air. And the next thing, so Neil was still saying, in comes Agarkhan bowls to Travis Friend. And Friend steers this one away behind point, but uh, nicely fielded uh, and so on and so on. And by about the third delivery, I said, um, what's happening? Has... Has has Ajit Agarka changed his run-up, and is he bowling slower deliveries? Because the whole run-up. Uh, I, I know. I, wow. I, 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 my recollection is very clear. Right, right. I I recall you raising an eyebrow, <laughs> cocking your ear towards the field, even though it made no difference because you were listening to the sound effects through the the microphone. Right. Uh, through through your 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 headphones, and uh, you said. Um, are you sure it's Ajit Lagarkar oh, bowling? Oh, yes, that is correct. So all what you just said is what you thought. Yeah. But what you said, all you said was, are you sure it's Ajit Agarka bowling? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. But what I was thinking, you're quite right. You, and that's all that I did say, because I wasn't quite brave enough to you know, make a statement yet. But I did ask the question, are you sure? And I remember the late, great, one of the nicest human beings to walk this earth and your very best friend ever, Harvey Swart, who was a sound technician or engineer he made sure that everything always sounded the way that it did and, and I, I just remember the two of you sort of conferring and thinking what is going on here <laughs> well and uh, see i i um I, I replied instantly and uh and so what i was thinking is who is this blind fellow asking me <laughs> whether it's still ajitagaka so i just immediately replied yes and then I looked a wee bit closer and I went, uh, no, actually, it's Saurav Ganguly bowling. <laughs> I have to give so you, you better explain how, how you knew. Yes, yes, indeed. So, I mean, obviously, initially, um, I, so Ganguly obviously was a, a very crafty swing bowler, but he was not quick at all, probably 117, 118 kilometers an hour but he was accurate and i'll tell you what if the conditions worked for him he was a handful he could swing the ball beautifully I just, and he, I he had a very short run a uh, very short very little short steps in his yeah, run up, short little it? twinkle toe type of steps whereas agarkar although ajit agarkar is very short in stature but he is a fast bowler so obviously he runs in and he you can hear the way that he explodes at the crease and and delivers the ball and of course the time of from a, the ball leaving his hand to when it hits the bat is considerably quicker than someone like a ganguly so from a stump microphone perspective i was picking all of this up and, and i was able to 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 tell exactly that I, I wasn't entirely sure who was bowling but this does not sound like uh, Ajit Agarkar to me because of that lack of explosion at the crease 
the, the lack of and and the, the the time that the ball you know had from leaving the the hand to hitting the bat. So that's pretty much how I was able to catch Mr. Manthorpe out uh, on the one and only occasion. I don't think there were any times after that. I think you were pretty much uh, very very aware of what was happening when you were with me in the commentary box after that manners. Indeed, I was. I was <laughs> just. Just uh, uh, you'll you'll catch me out as much as you like talking about the 1990s. I'm going to bound to get dates wrong, <laughs> but it, it was a. I must say, um, I, I thought that because of your your passion, your enthusiasm, uh, your knowledge, that um, that I I had no doubts. Um, you've asked me several times. I mean, you know, it's two decades ago now. You've asked me a few times, uh, that, you know, were you, you must have been a bit concerned having this blind fellow as your, mm. as your co-commentator. But, but I wasn't at all. But I, I confess, I thought that it would be um, an exhibition, you know. Yes, I thought yes, that uh, we, we'd, we'd maybe do a couple of stints together um, and, and it would be a, a magnificent uh, achievement. And then that we'd probably have a line drawn under, under it. Because I'm a product of the era in which I grew up, and um, and you know I assumed what I had been taught, and everybody else had, had assumed uh, ever since the game began that blind people wouldn't be able to commentate on the game. <laughs> so I did think that that probably um, that the end of that tournament that would probably be the end of it. But um, so so I apologise for under underestimating you oh, because no, 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 uh, it's, it's been twenty years now, mate. Yeah, it has indeed. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. You certainly are. What a wonderful man he is. Neil Manthorpe, my mentor, colleague and friend and advisor. And the two of us have been working together on and off now since uh, July 2001. with a very good try and get a series which involved Zimbabwe, India and the West Indies. West Indies actually going on to win that encounter uh, the triangular series when they beat India in the final, which was a bit of a surprise because India had played incredibly good cricket up to then. And it was a bit of a situation where whoever won the toss wanted to bowl, get the opposition out very quickly because in those days it was actually still a de decent pitch at Harare Sports Club and then chased down the total world, the West Indies. They were put into bat by Saurav Ganguly, Wavell Hines and Chris Gale got them off to a good start and they defended the total without even breaking a sweat. Hey, don't forget, you can also listen to interviews with the likes of 19-year-old Tawanda Muyeye, fantastic young man with a great deal of potential, recently been announced as the Wisden Schools Cricketer of the Year. But you can also listen to interviews with the likes of Michael Vaughan, Sean Pollock, and of course, Pommy Mbangwa, who always has a story or two to tell. We'll be back again pretty soon with the next podcast of Dean at Stumps. But uh, until then, it's thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, uh, look, there are there are quite a few stories of... Uh, You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.